Today is Wednesday, December the 27th, 2023. Welcome to the award-winning Personal Computer Show. I'm Hank Key, and do you know who has your personal data? Do you know how big tech companies are using your personal data? We have been bringing computer industry news, hardware and software reviews, guest interviews, and news of user group meetings for the past 40 years. The Personal Computer Show is a three-time winner of the prestigious National Computer Press Awards. The Personal Computer Show had for many years been a call-in talk show. The pandemic-causing studio lockdown has altered our format. The listener call-in format enabled us to know what technology issues were on the minds of the listeners. Our only advocacies are consumerism and the First Amendment. I welcome you, the listeners, to provide feedback as to what you want to hear. Address your suggestions to hank at pcradioshow.org. Our website is pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Progressive Radio Network. That's www.prn.live. That's L-I-V-E. Streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. You can leave us a message with your question or comment at hank at pcradioshow.org. Right A faces a five-year facial recognition ban. The FTC announced Right A will be banned from using AI-powered facial recognition technology for five years under a proposed settlement with the Federal Trade Commission. The Federal Trade Commission alleged in a complaint that the pharmacy retail chain failed to implement reasonable procedures in hundreds of stores and prevent harm to consumers with what the agency called Right A's reckless use of facial recognition technology that is said disproportionately impacted people of color. Face recognition tech has proven to be a popular option for retail and other industries, and these findings could galvanize advocacy groups that campaign against such surveillance. While Right Aid welcomed the proposed settlement, it said in a statement, We fundamentally disagree with the facial recognition allegations in the agency complaint, adding that the company used the technology in a limited number of stores. The Federal Trade Commission accuses Right Aid in the complaint, filed in federal court in Pennsylvania, of failing to take reasonable measures to prevent harm to customers when using AI-based facial recognition technology from 2012 to 2020 to identify those they suspected of shoplifting or other problematic behavior. It alleges Rite Aid actions subjected consumers to embarrassment and harassment. The commission said Rite Aid's actions violated a 2010 data security order by failing to adequately oversee its service providers. The complaint alleges that Rite Aid used the technology to capture the images of all consumers in its drugstores and created a database of those identified as carrying out suspicious behavior. The database included accompanying information such as names, birth, years, and details related to criminal or dishonest behavior. Rite Aid workers would receive match alerts to their phones in numerous instances. The match alerts that led to these actions were false positives. The complaint states, The company didn't inform consumers that it used the technology and Rite Aid specifically instructed employees not to reveal its use to customers, the FTC alleges. The FTC proposed order would require Rite Aid to implement comprehensive safeguards to prevent any future harm to customers. It would require Rite Aid to stop using such technology and delete and direct third parties to remove any images or photos that have been collected. Given that Rite Aid is going through bankruptcy proceedings, the FTC said the order would go into effect after approval from the courts. What they're saying, Rite Aid's reckless use of facial surveillance systems left its cons- check check left its customers facing humiliation and other harms, and its order violations put consumers' sensitive information at risk. 
said the director of FTC's Bureau of Consumer Protection in a statement accompanying the announcement. The other side, which is Rite Aid, said, We respect the FTC's inquiry and are aligned with the agency's mission to protect consumer privacy. Rite Aid said in its statement that Rite Aid stopped using the technology in this small group of stores more than three years ago before the FTC's investigation regarding the company's use of technology began. The Rite Aid case is an urgent reminder that the United States has failed to enact necessary sweeping privacy laws. Intel is buying leading-edge lithography tools. Report says Intel will acquire 6 of 10 high NAEUV tools produced by ASML next year. Intel will be the first company to get an extreme ultraviolet, that's EUV, lithography tool with a 0.55 numeric aperture or high NA from ASML this year and it's also going to obtain the majority of the company's machines in 2024, according to a report by TrendForce. These two procurement tactics indicate that Intel is poised to use twin-scan EXE machines extensively going forward. Intel is about to get its first twin-scan EXE 5000 pilot scanner from ASML and plans to use it to learn how to better use the high NAEUV lithography for commercial production of chips. The company initially planned to use this litho technology for its Intel 18A or 18 Angstrom's 1.8 nanometer class production node to print the smallest features possible, but instead opted for EUV multi-patterning or high NA2s are coming later than expected. The additional six high NAEUV litho tools that the company is going to get next year, twin scans EXE 5200 scanners, will be used for mass production of chips using Intel's 18A and other process technologies in 2025 and onwards. Usage of the twin scan EXE may positively affect the company's production cycles, though it's hard to say whether this will have a positive effect on Intel's cost and these machines will be considerably more expensive, some say between $300 million and $400 million, than ASML's twin scan NXE 3600D or NXE 3800E, which already exceeds $200 million each. Furthermore, because high NA litho tools have two times smaller rectical size, their usage will be different from what we see with typical EUV machines. Intel will be ahead of its rivals when it comes to high NA learning, which will give it several advantages, specifically because Intel will likely be the first company to initiate high-volume production with high NA tools. The Fab2 ecosystem will inevitably follow its requirements. Said requirements will likely translate to industry standards, which will probably give Intel strategic advantages over rivals from Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing and Samsung Foundry. But Intel's rivals are also looking to obtain high NA tools. Samsung Electronics Vice Chairman and Head of the Company's Device Solutions Division said this week that the company reached an agreement with ASML regarding procuring also high NA tools. Samsung has secured a priority over the high NA equipment technology, and they believe that they have created an opportunity to optimize the use of high NA technology for their production of DRAM memory chips and logic chips in the long term. Windows on RISC versus Windows on x86 architecture. What are the differences and what are the pros and cons? Well, Windows on RISC, the pros are potential for increased performance. RISC, which is reduced instruction set computer architecture, such as RISC-V, are designed to execute instructions in a single clock cycle, 
which can result in faster execution times compared to complex instruction set computer that CISC, C-I-S-C architecture like the x86. There's power efficiency. RISC architectures, including RISC-V, have historically focused on reducing power consumption, making them well-suited for battery-powered devices like mobile devices. It's open and free architecture. RISC-V is an open-source instruction set architecture, which means it can be freely used, modified, and implemented by anyone. This openness can foster innovation and collaboration in the development of RISC-V-based systems. Well, what are the cons? Limited software compatibility. Windows on RISC architecture may face challenges in terms of software compatibility. Many applications and software are developed for x86 architectures, and running them on RISC architectures may require emulation or translation layers which can introduce performance overhead. And there's a lack of ecosystem maturity. RISC-V is a relatively new architecture compared to x86, which means that the ecosystem, including software tools, libraries, and developer support, may not be as mature or extensive as that of x86. Well, what are the pros and cons with Windows x86? The pros are wide software compatibility. The x86 architecture has been the dominant architecture for desktop and laptop computers for many years. As a result, the majority of software, including operating systems, applications, and games, are developed and optimized for x86 architectures. This wide software compatibility ensures that users have access to a vast library of software options. And it has a mature ecosystem. The x86 architecture has a mature and well-established ecosystem, including a wide range of development tools, libraries, and support resources. This mature ecosystem makes it easier for developers to create software for x86 architectures and ensures a robust and stable computing experience for users. And there's strong performance. Over the years, x86 architectures have evolved and improved, delivering high-performance computing capabilities. The x86 architecture is known for its ability to handle complex instructions efficiently, making it suitable for a wide range of applications, including resource-intensive tasks like gaming and content creation. But there are some negatives. It's high power consumption. Compared to RISC architecture, x86 architectures tend to consume much more power. This higher power consumption can be a disadvantage in battery power devices where power efficiency is crucial. It's also closed architecture. Unlike RISC-V, x86 is a proprietary architecture owned by Intel and AMD. This closed nature limits the ability to modify and customize the architecture, potentially hindering the innovation and collaboration in the development of x86-based systems. Overall, the choice between Windows on RISC and Windows x86 depends on various factors, including the specific use case, software compatibility requirements, performance needs, and power efficiency considerations. It's important to evaluate these factors and choose the architecture that best aligns with the intended purpose and goals of the system. Well, what's going to be happening next year in the field of personal computing? And for me, the big question I have is, what's the big rush to migrate Windows 10 to Windows 11? Intel and AMD are getting ready for a Windows refresh. Risk architecture is back in the news and everyone is betting on AI. 2023 has been a fairly uneventful year for laptops. Apple continues to dominate in both performance and battery life, while Microsoft only had incremental upgrades for its Surface line, and Intel has waited until the very end of the year to try to respond to Apple's dominance. 
But 2024 looks set to be one of the most interesting years for laptops, thanks to a new version of Windows, or at least that's what's been hinted at by Microsoft, a big AI push, and another attempt at making Windows on risk a reality. Intel is kicking off things a little early late this year with its Media Lake Core Ultra chips. These are Intel's first processors with different chiplets for each component. The first on the Intel 4 process, which is equivalent to the 7 nanometer, and it's first with an AI coprocessor inside. All of this will hopefully add up to improved battery life that can rival Apple's MacBook lineup and perhaps the performance to match. It's the AI coprocessor inside that is intriguing, particularly because Intel and Microsoft have both been dropping hints about a future version of Windows arriving soon and how AI is going to reinvent how you do everything on Windows. Rumors suggest that Windows 12 will include a large focus on AI and take advantage of the AI coprocessors that Intel is building into its core ultra chips. Intel isn't the only one. AMD also has its own Ryzen 7000 mobile processors that include a dedicated AI engine, and these types of neural processing units, otherwise are called NPU, are common on RISC-powered Windows laptops. Many of the new laptops for 2024 will be powered by Intel's new chips, while Intel talks a lot about AI everywhere. The missing piece in the discussion, or as part of the puzzle, is a new AI-focused version of Windows. Intel publicly teased a Windows refresh for 2024, which aligns well with its new AI-focused chip push and rumors of an AI focus for Windows 12. Microsoft hasn't acknowledged any plans for Windows 12. According to Yousef Mahadi, Microsoft's head of consumer marketing, it seems inevitable that the next version of Windows will focus heavily on AI. And he said, as we start to develop future versions of Windows, we'll think about other places where AI should play a natural role in terms of the experience. The other Windows element is risk. 2024 looks set to be the next major push for Windows on risk, with Qualcomm claiming a Snapdragon X Elite processor will beat Apple, Intel, and AMD. Laptops with the Snapdragon X Elite won't start shipping until mid-2024, but they could offer a solid opportunity for Windows on risk to finally bring the performance it desperately needed. Microsoft co-engineered custom Qualcomm chips for its RISC-powered Surface Pro variants, but the performance never quite matched what you'd expect from a Windows laptop. Microsoft has largely solved the app compatibility issues, but unless developers fully move their apps over to the RISC architecture, they simply won't run as well. Microsoft Edge, built on the Chromium engine, runs great on Windows on RISC because Microsoft has done the work, while Google Chrome, also built on Chromium, lags far behind because it's still an x86 app. Qualcomm's added performance could help brute force Windows on RISC into a good place, but ultimately Microsoft and developers need to do more to make Windows on RISC good enough for all apps. Recent reports suggest both NVIDIA and AMD plan to launch RISC PC chips as soon as 2025, which is a year later, so it feels like next year could be a big year for Windows on RISC. Microsoft originally shipped its first RISC-powered Surface RT in 2012, so it's about time that Windows on RISC finally became an option for the masses and not just executives browsing the web on an expensive Surface Pro X device. We can expect to see new Surface hardware next spring. Microsoft has been reportedly working on a smaller Surface Pro with an 11-inch display, so that if the device is still in the works, then 2024 and a new version of Windows seems like the perfect time for a new Surface device. 
the main Surface Pro and Surface laptop systems are also due for an upgrade, so it could be a busy year for Surface hardware. We now need to see how Microsoft will reinvent Surface under new leadership and how the company moves beyond the success of the Surface Pro. With the PC industry eager to push AI features as a laptop selling point, all eyes are on 2024 to see exactly how this new AI era starts to change the devices that millions rely on every day. Windows 10 support ended, and Microsoft is currently promoting moving from Windows 10 to 11. With Windows 12, or whatever it will be named, the migration from Windows 10 to Windows 11 makes absolutely no sense at all, at least in my opinion. With all this noise on AI coprocessor, risk architecture, and an AI Windows version, hey, I'm in no rush to make any major purchases until the dust is settled. I am not a laboratory to pay for Microsoft's development expenses. Presenting the IT Pro Series with Benjamin Rockwell. This is Benjamin Rockwell, and now it's time to get down to business. This is where we talk about computers, the workplace, and how they impact us all the way along. And one of the biggest areas that people lose sight of is ergonomics. I will tell you that workplace ergonomics, it's like steering a ship through turbulent waters. It requires a very careful attention to avoid all of the potential hazards. And we really... We get lost in some of this, and it's so easy to to get lost in this as we move through our days. And this applies both in the at the workplace, but but also in your home environment when you're doing something like working from home. So many people forget about all of these different aspects, and the top one on my list is something that as we've moved into this work from home for a lot of different people, that they've forgotten the most important item, and that is you cannot do prolonged sitting. You cannot sit at your desk all day long. This is this is a, a situation where, yes, you're sitting there and you're not being active. You're not getting out and about. And at times, you know what, I think I actually am probably fairly guilty of this. I work at my computer for very long stretches, sometimes because I'm dealing with things that I cannot break away from. I need to make sure, we all need to make sure that whenever we can, we should be getting up and we should be moving about. When we're in the workplace, the different things that we used to deal with in the workplace, okay, you, you want to go off to the the kitchen and make a snack or grab tea or coffee. It's going to be down, down at the end of the hall there, and then you turn left and go to the end of that hall, and then you're off in the kitchenette area. And you can walk down there, and you'll stand there for probably five minutes as you're chatting with someone. It's really easy for us when we're working from home to not do that. But in either place, I want you to think about getting up and moving. And you need to be setting up some level of recurring get up and move. (laughs) Whether it's a matter of once every 30 minutes and you just walk downstairs at your home or you walk down to the end of the aisle and then all the way back. Or you set up something every couple of hours where you really go on outside and you you get the exercise of walking out to your car or walking down just a couple of houses away. Whatever it is, you need to start to get some exercise. The next item is desk setup. And this involves making sure you have a good chair. You have a good place to to work at a desk and you position your monitors properly, your your keyboard and your mouse. You know, one of the things that I've seen people do is, okay, you know, I'm work from home, so I'm going to work from, you know, just sitting in my bed or sitting in the living room at the coffee table. Well, these are not good ergonomic items 
These are things that are going to make your back hurt. These are things that are going to impact you in a number of different ways. So, again, we we not only need to move around, but we need to make sure that when we're sitting at the desk that everything is optimized for us. You know, it's almost like, and, and think about this optimization too. Think about the space you have to move your mouse. It would be very awkward if you were to try to use your mouse left-handed if you were a right-handed person. So think about, do you have the space there? Is it aligned properly? Is your keyboard properly placed right in front of you? Or if your desk setup is small and it's off to the side and your mouse is off into a weird spot, that is going to cause a, a variety of different some sometimes it's repetitive stress injury like carpal tunnel sometimes it's just a matter of you get a kink in your back because you're always sitting in that one position i want you to think of those old watchmakers or jewelry makers and they've got that hunched over look to their body uh, one of the things also with uh, um i know someone who used to work with flowers and she had her her fingers had, had kind of bent off in a different direction because she was always handling those shears. She had some great strength to her hands, but there was a certain tilt to the fingers because of all of that. And she didn't get the proper exercise in the other directions with her hand. So think about these things. Another thing, too, is make sure that you have sufficient lighting. And that is that is very key. Make sure the light is not a glare on your screen, but is also something where, okay, you want to make sure you get natural light through a good portion of the day. And you want to have the lights in your room kind of match whatever the lighting is that's outside. So that might mean while you're working, have daylight bulbs. Or at least if you've got color changing bulbs during the day, it's that nice you know, daylight white. And yeah, somewhere up in that 5,000, 6,000 range, uh, that's the, the, the Kelvin number. Uh, and you'll see that on light bulbs. And during the night, maybe bring it on down to that 2,500 range where it's that nice warm glow, that nice incandescent feel. Like all the way along, you need to be addressing these different things And I really want you to look into whatever you can for a wellness program, an exercise program. And I want you to adopt a culture that really values your physical health, that really thinks about and addresses all of the different things you're doing throughout the day with your computers. This is Benjamin Rockwell. Back to you, Hank. Thank you, Benjamin. A hybrid work model is a flexible approach to work that combines in-office and remote work. It allows employees to choose where and when they work and provides them with more autonomy and better work-life balance. A hybrid work model also benefits employers by increasing productivity and engagement and addressing the challenges of remote work. The shift to a hybrid work model is a reality that many companies are embracing. According to a Forbes article, hybrid work models are here to stay and companies should prepare for this reality. The article suggests that companies should compile a comprehensive status of their current employees, schedule employees' return on certain days, and plan for engagement activities. It also recommends keeping a finger on the pulse by regularly interacting with teams identifying points needing attention to help make the workers productive, empowered, and connected in their day-to-day work. The shift to a hybrid work model has created economic winners and losers. Both employers and knowledge economy workers stand to save money with hybrid work. All of the businesses that help facilitate this new model, such as technology companies and office designers, have an opportunity to increase their business. The shift to remote work from home has brought about significant changes to the economy. There have been major impacts on the downtown business centers. With fewer people commuting to work, downtown areas have experienced a decline in commuters. This has had an economic impact 
and a negative impact on businesses that used to benefit from the daily influx of workers needing services at the local shops and restaurants. Remote work has influenced population growth and migration patterns. People have been relocating to areas that offer a better quality of life, lower costs of living, and more favorable work-from-home conditions. This has led to shifts in population across different regions, impacting local economies. Many urban centers are now facing massive financial deficits with a shift of people and relocation. Remote workers may spend less money on local businesses, such as restaurants, cafes, and shops, as they are less likely to frequent these establishments compared to when they were commuting to the office. This change in spending behavior can have an economic impact on local small businesses. Remote work has demonstrated that many employees can be productive and efficient while working from home. This has led to cost savings for companies in terms of office space and overhead expenses. Additionally, remote work has allowed companies to tap into a global talent pool, potentially increasing innovation and productivity. Remote work has provided employees with greater flexibility in managing their work schedules and personal lives. This flexibility can lead to improved work-life balance and increased job satisfaction, which in turn can positively impact productivity and employee retention. The shift to remote work has accelerated the adoption of various technologies. Companies have invested in collaboration tools, video conferencing platforms, and cloud-based solutions to facilitate remote work. This increased reliance on technology has driven innovation and growth in the tech sector. Remote working from home also means the worker must learn and adapt to new technologies. The impact of hybrid work model is obvious. The impact of remote work on the economy is complex. While there have been both positive and negative effects, the long-term implications are still evolving. The future of remote work and its influence on the economy will depend on various factors, including competition, labor markets, and work arrangements. The hybrid work model has had a significant impact on job seekers. The hybrid work model has led to an increase in remote and hybrid job postings, providing job seekers with more opportunities to find flexible roles. This shift towards flexible work arrangements has been driven by the recognition that professionals need a balance between their work and home lives. As a result, job seekers now have the option to integrate their work and personal lives in a way that works best for both. Job seekers value having autonomy over where and when they work. The hybrid work model allows individuals to have more control over their work environment, which can have a positive impact on their job satisfaction and overall well-being. This increased autonomy can be particularly appealing to job seekers who prioritizes work-life balance and want to have more flexibility in managing their personal and professional responsibilities. Many job seekers now prioritize finding employers who offer a hybrid work model. This preference is driven by the desire for a fulfilling work experience that aligns with their personal values. The ability to have a mix of remote and in-person work can provide job seekers with the best of both worlds, allowing them to enjoy the benefits of opportunities for collaboration and social interaction in an office setting. The hybrid work model has had a significant impact on the recruitment of workers. The hybrid work model has expanded the talent pool for employers with the option of remote work or working from home. Job seekers are no longer limited by geographical constraints when considering potential employers. This means that organizations can attract top-quality candidates from a wider range of locations, leading to increased diversity and inclusion in the workforce. The rise of hybrid work has also increased competition among employers. As remote work becomes more prevalent, job seekers have more options to choose from, and organizations need to offer attractive hybrid work arrangements 
to remain competitive. Employers that do not adapt to the hybrid work model may find it challenging to attract and retain top talent. The hybrid work model has highlighted the importance of work-life balance for job seekers. Many individuals prioritize flexibility and the ability to integrate their work and personal lives. Employers that offer hybrid work arrangements are seen as more supportive of work-life balance, which can be a significant factor in attracting, retaining talent. Organizations have had to adapt their recruitment strategies to accommodate the hybrid work model. This includes leveraging technology for virtual interviews and assessments, as well as re-evaluating the criteria used to evaluate candidates. Employers may also need to emphasize their commitment to provide a positive hybrid work experience during the recruitment process to attract job seekers who value flexibility and autonomy. The hybrid work model can have a positive impact on employee satisfaction and retention. Job seekers are increasingly seeking employers that offer hybrid work arrangements as it provides them with the flexibility and autonomy they desire by offering a hybrid work model. Organizations can improve employee satisfaction, which in turn can lead to higher retention rates. But how does one climb the ladder of success in a hybrid work model? In a hybrid work environment, how does one climb that ladder of success in an organization? To climb that ladder of success, it is important to demonstrate leadership skills. This includes taking initiatives, being proactive, showing a willingness to take on additional responsibilities, and great leaders advocate for the company and motivate employees to achieve their goals. Maintaining open communications is crucial in a hybrid work environment. It is important to keep team members informed about broader strategic goals and ensure everyone is aware of what they need to achieve and how to get there. Actively listening to colleagues and understanding their needs can contribute to success. In a hybrid work environment, prioritizing work-life balance is essential. It is important to set boundaries, manage time effectively, and ensure personal well-being. Advocating for a safe and secure work environment, both physically and psychologically, contributes to overall success. Being flexible and adaptable is key in a hybrid work environment. Embrace changes and new technologies and can be open to learning and acquiring new skills. This can help you stay competitive and relevant in your role. This can include taking on challenging projects, seeking additional training or certifications, and networking with colleagues and mentors. Showing a commitment to personal and professional growth can demonstrate your dedication to success. Building strong relationships with colleagues, supervisors, and mentors is important for career advancement. Collaborate effectively. Offer support to others and seek guidance and feedback. These relationships can provide valuable opportunities for learning, growth, and advancement. Consistently delivering high-quality work and achieving results is crucial for climbing the ladder of success. Set clear goals, meet deadlines, and exceed expectations whenever possible. Demonstrating your value and contribution to the organization can lead to recognition and advancement opportunities. Climbing the ladder of success in a hybrid work environment requires demonstrating leadership skills, maintaining open communication, prioritizing work-life balance, embracing flexibility and adaptability, seeking growth opportunities, building strong relationships, and delivering consistent results. By focusing on these factors, individuals can position themselves for success in their organizations. A question arises, could the hybrid work model have had happened without COVID-19? The hybrid work model, which combines remote work and in-person work, has gained popularity during the COVID-19 pandemic. However, it is important to note that the concept of hybrid work existed before the pandemic and was already being explored by some organizations. 
The pandemic simply accelerated its adoption and highlighted its benefits and challenges. While the COVID-19 pandemic accelerated the adoption of the hybrid work model, it is likely that this model will have eventually emerged even without the pandemic. Some companies were already implementing hybrid work models to provide flexibility to their employees and improve work-life balance. These models allow employees to work remotely for a certain number of days while also coming into the office for collaboration and face-to-face interactions. The hybrid work model has become even more prevalent. The pandemic forced many organizations to quickly transition to remote work, and as they adapt to the new normal, they are considering a hybrid approach that combines the best of both remote and in-person work. This model allows employees to have the flexibility of working from home while also providing opportunities for collaboration and social interaction in the office. The hybrid work model offers several advantages. It allows employees to have a better work-life balance, reduces commuting time and cost, and provides flexibility to accommodate personal needs. It also enables companies to tap into a larger talent pool by hiring remote workers and reduces the need for physical office space. There are challenges associated with a hybrid work model. It requires effective communication and collaboration tools to ensure seamless coordination between remote and in-person employees. Companies need to establish clear policies and guidelines to maintain productivity and ensure equal opportunities for all employees, regardless of their work location. Additionally, organizations need to consider the impact on company culture and employee well-being as prolonged remote work can blur the boundaries between work and personal life. The benefits of flexibility, improved work-life balance, and access to a larger talent pool make the hybrid work model an attractive option for many organizations. However, it is important for companies to carefully plan and address the challenges associated with implementing and maintaining a successful hybrid work model. Presenting Technology Chatter with Benjamin Rockwell and Marty Winston. Marty Winston joins me now here. Marty, what do you have for us this week? Ah, well, you may remember the pandemic. It was in the news. Uh, we had a hall. I, I, I heard about it. I, you know, <laughs> where I live, we we kind of ignored it. Well, we we, we stayed at home for a few weeks. <laughs> yes, I I know, but nobody ever saw anybody there anyway. <laughs> the great the, the great cure for the pandemic was not bathing. <laughs> You, you you might remember we had a hall of shame. We had scores of products that made bogus claims about their impact on any infectious virus. Oh, and, all of the, all of those UV products and uh-huh. oh yeah, tons of those. Yeah. Now, what uh, I want to refresh. We, uh, we're revisiting that. Well, kind of because I, I got one that works better than they did. Okay. What I want to refresh from those old critical pans is the basic tech underpinning of using UVC. Mm-hmm. That's Bansi, deep ultraviolet. It neutralizes viruses and other microorganisms. You have to say neutralize because you can't say it kills because they might not really be live. It's a debate I'm not going to get into. Yeah. Uh, it comes down to this. Exposure has to be strong enough, last long enough, and be close enough or it won't disinfect. Mm-hmm. Strong enough, long enough, close enough. That's the combo. The, com- the competent, the good Pandemic era designs used gas discharge tubes, basically fluorescent tubes modified to eliminate to eliminate to emit UVC. Yeah. UVC LEDs were starting to appear, but they were weak in that era. And the bogus gear would try to suggest it's enough to kill everything a fan could blow past them, but it wasn't. Right. Yeah. So set your calendars for now and let's take a look at the Targus UVC LED disinfection light. Targus, okay. Yeah, they're reputable brands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, it's meant to disinfect surfaces, not airborne. Mm. Surfaces like keyboards, smart stuff. You know, it's not volumes of air. It's just glowing on things that are down there. Okay. Okay. Second, 
it doesn't depend on half a second of exposure. It turns on for five minutes every hour. Now, okay. if you're there, it won't turn on. There's a motion detector. Pro yeah, okay. Proximity sensor in it. But it, <laughs> if you're there, it'll start five minutes after you leave. Okay. So, and and it's safer that way. You don't want to get accidental exposure. You have a little stripe of tan on your hand or something. Mm-hmm. Its base is a pedestal for thin horizontal light housing, and it has a slanted pad where you can leave your smartphone so that gets disinfected. There's a white ready light that turns purple. First it flashes and then glows when the disinfection cycle starts, so it's not hiding from you. Mm -hmm. UVC treats a footprint that's roughly 10 inches by 26 inches, which covers a typical keyboard and mouse. Yeah, a, a, a small desktop, yeah. Yeah, okay. the, the Targus UVC LED disinfection light's about 200 bucks at us.targus.com. Okay. So so this sounds this sounds pretty good. Uh, how much testing have you done on this? Um days and days and days. Okay. But I don't have but anything that tells me you know, there was a germ there. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I do know that it comes on. I did interview the geeks over there to make sure that we're getting the right kind of luminance and all of that out of it. So, yeah. If anybody's going to quiz them down after all of the different uh, you. So, so for the listener, you have to understand, Marty and I have talked about this left, right, forwards, backwards, tons offline. And we we've thrown around all kinds of these different ideas and, and solutions and uh, it, it, it's it's there's a lot more behind the scenes of why doesn't any of this stuff actually work? So I'm glad that Targus actually has has put together the right stuff for surface for surface, fact, right? Yeah, yeah surface, and that's important. Yeah, yeah. Now speaking of surfaces, you got a big one on your garage door, right? Yes, yes. And making that garage door go up and down. Yeah. Every garage door opener does that. Mm -hmm. But the smartest garage door openers have a controller. Right. And those controllers, some of them plug into USB for their power. Yeah. Right? And if you're in USB and there's a power outage, that door stops working. So yes. the whole goal is to find something that won't freeze, meaning it has lithium polymer and not lithium ion as its okay. battery. All right, yeah. Has a backup function and does USB in, USB out. So, finally found a winner. It's the Anchor 733 Power Bank. It's 10K, 10,000. it's Anchor. Those, <laughs> those, guys, those guys come up with all kinds of creative stuff. Hey, they're not the only guys I tested. Uh, yeah, I so bet. I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to tell you, 10,000 milliamp hours, good up to for up to 65 watts when AC power is present, then drops to a total of 30 watts and only at 5 volts. But that's all these gizmos need. So the bottom line, my garage door opener's Wi-Fi controller can stay connected and working for at least a couple of days into an outage and still issue loud warnings when the door is remotely opened or closed. So okay. that's this right. thing. It's about 70 bucks on Amazon. Okay. So the, that's the uh, uh, and I didn't I didn't jot down the um, the, the anchor seven, what seven thirty three seven thirty three or seventy three three or seven three three okay very cool I'm gonna have to check that one out because yeah I've got that same situation so yeah uh, you're gonna love it yeah as for now this is Benjamin Rockwell that's Marty Winston thank you Benjamin and thank you Marty. Public service announcements. Computer club meetings in the New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut tri-state region. Log on to the club website for more information on remote meeting ID. Tech Ed Connect, Thursday, January the 4th, 2024. They'll be kicking off the new year at 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom. Their website is wpcug.org. The Amateur Computer Group of New Jersey meets Friday, January the 5th of the new year at 8 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Jitsi and their website is acgnj.org. The King's Byte Computer Club meets Tuesday, January the 9th, 2024 
at 7 p.m., and they meet at the Park Plaza Restaurant, 220 Cadman Plaza West in Brooklyn. Phone number to confirm is 347-278-7320. And the Long Island Macintosh Users Group meets Friday, January the 12th, 2024, at 7 p.m., online virtual meeting via Zoom, and their website is limac.org. Brookdale Computer Users Group meets Thursday, December the 14th at 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting and their website is bcug.com. The New York Amateur Computer Club has a virtual meeting on Thursday, December the 14th and the meeting time is 7 p.m. Online virtual meeting via Zoom and the website is nyacc.org. Our website is www.pcradioshow.org. We are heard each Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on PRN Live, streaming on the Internet. Podcasts of the program is available on prn.live on the Internet. If you have any questions for us, just send us an email addressed to hank at pcradioshow.org. In the meantime... Stay in touch, and remember to do regular backups. I'm Hank Key, and on behalf of Michael Horowitz, Benjamin Rockwell, and Marty Winston, we thank you for listening, and we wish all a Happy New Year. Stay safe and healthy until we meet again, same time, same station next week. Happy New Year, Lucy. Happy New Year, Charlie Brown. Yeah.